Hey guys, quick heads up, we're not in studio for this episode, so the audio is not as good as it usually is. Uh, My audio is a little low. We recorded this episode on the phone because of the coronavirus. So just a quick heads up, enjoy the rest of the episode. You've entered the gray area, the intersection of culture and technology. I'm your host, Angela Benton. So this is part two of the gray area um, where we are talking about biotech, health, data, all kinds of stuff um, that we haven't typically been talking about, but um, I think it's a good conversation to have and it's something that I've been personally interested in. And so we have Reggie back, not in studio. We're recording all of this um, remotely, but we wanted to do, or at least I wanted to do a part two of this because the conversation around CRISPR technology, we kind of touched on it last episode, but the conversation around CRISPR technology, I felt like deserved um, more than the time we had allotted. So... Reggie, thanks for making time to come back on. Thank you. No, thank you for having me again. I I definitely uh, love to be here. So um, high level, you know, we did talk about CRISPR basically being bioengineering. So CRISPR technology, in short, um, allows someone, or someone, anyone um, with the capabilities to actually edit your DNA. So if there are, I guess, if you have genetic disorders, um, you're maybe concerned about passing those on to your children or, you know, um, are trying to get cured of something, they can actually go in and and edit your DNA. So can you give us kind of like the lowdown on that? Sure, sure. So um, right now, I know CRISPR is been the hot topic for the last five years and maybe even more than that but um you know CRISPR technology in essence has been around for a while actually um but it's been used more so for farm crops and plants so when we're taking a look at agriculture right we're looking at specifically removing some of the undesirable elements in the farm crops that will make like corn or or um other types of grains susceptible to certain types of diseases, right? So now taking that adoption feature into now a human embryo or, or human studies has, has changed the way we understand, okay, mutation in essence as well. So when we think about genes and gene editing and gene mutation, many people, want to be able to modify within okay, the human we, body. I think we lost you for a second there, um, Reggie. So guys, bear with us if it's kind of in and out, Reggie's in transit. We're actually using um, the Anchor app to do this remotely. So um, I'm sorry to cut you off, Reggie, but I think part of what you what you were saying cut off. Um, and I guess you could okay. back up around... Um, the crop genetic engineering. Yes, yes, okay. So yeah, from from 
So CRISPR has been usually a tool that was reserved for agriculture and crop genetic engineering or modification. I don't want to say engineering because it's it's trying to uh, illustrate or elucidate a specific frame of reference where it's not we're not trying to say we're trying to change corn to be bigger or to to instead of being yellow to be orange or to be everything else. It's just really to modify certain types of elements within the agricultural area to remove the susceptibility of diseases. So when we now talk about it in human form, people are now focused on looking at the true genetic makeup and the true genetic uh, essence of let's modify ways we can not make this type of group susceptible to um, AIDS or maybe Alzheimer's or maybe um, multiple myeloma or maybe um, MS or maybe, you know, something else. Yeah, I actually, I heard about it um, for cancer, actually. They're doing a lot, they're using CRISPR a lot for cancers that um, are genetic. Yes, yes, that's right. And um, most of the time when we, when we think about cancers, we think about the aspect of which it affects the human condition. Now, there's around 250,000 cancers in the database, probably much, probably much more than that in the world today, right? And, and the doctor is specifically trained about 3,000 of them. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that because we are trying to understand from an inheritance standpoint, the, the diseases and cancers that are inherited, um, you know, such as Klinefelter syndrome at the SSY um, and a few other types of diseases that are out there, cancers that are out there. Um, we want to be able to now understand if we change a genetic code or a genetic protein that affects this uh, particular strain of this disease, do we actually need to modify the person at the same time? So it's been a quandary to say, if we want to say um, we don't want this this uh, this patient to exhibit any symptoms of of uh, Alzheimer's, for example, or or something else, we are going to modify these types of protein filters to make sure that this patient doesn't exhibit any of the uh, degradation of the cells to be a, be one of those uh, affected patients that will eventually have Alzheimer's. Right. right? So then. The back of the question is, do you actually think that modifying a cell will will change any other part of the body? Will it change your uh, your your IQ? Will it change your the way that you perceive uh, things in nature or perceive things in 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 logic? Will it change the way that uh, that you have your motor skills? Will it change the way that you are able to understand the read and write? Because we are still into the unknown area where well, right. we all, don't know. It's all, what it's all we, an experiment, basically. Yeah. The experiment <laughs> called life, basically. Um, exactly. I exactly. Even, and I even, I even read something, and this is actually interesting. So I, so I heard about CRISPR technology, obviously, um, because I was going through um, 
cancer, and um, one of the founders of Facebook actually has um, an organization to fight cancer with immunotherapy. I follow the page. Um, it's Sean Parker's mm-hmm. page. I follow the page on Facebook. So I get a lot of updates when I go on Facebook um, of just what they're doing um, to try to eradicate the disease using CRISPR and immunotherapy. So that's how I found out about it. Um, flash forward to um, today, now that I, I know the capabilities of CRISPR, what's super interesting is I also recently found out that DNA can be used for data storage. <laughs> and it's something, yes, it's something apparently that researchers have known. There's an article, I'll link to the article um actually uh in the in the show notes but um researchers have 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 known apparently for quite some time that dna can actually be used as data storage and you know dna obviously it's storing you know a lot of the things that make us as human and it's really transmitting that data from one generation to the next um but computer scientists are are actually looking into this to try to measure the density of data that DNA can can store. And so mm-hmm. it said that a single gram um, can hold roughly a zettabyte of um, data. And so this is really interesting when you start to think about CRISPR technology and like the ability to like actually edit um, DNA, but then also pairing that with DNA really being able to use, you know, as, as a data storage facility, um, really. And it actually can store so much data, more data than we can store on anything that we've developed in, in, the, in the physical world. So um, I don't know. That's just super fascinating to me how a lot of these worlds are kind of starting to collide as we get more information about you know, life and the, and the world we live in and, and you know, the basics, I guess, of um, our reality. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and the world is changing so fast that it'll make your head spin pretty quickly, you know, twice around. And with, I'm glad that you mentioned that because with data storage, right? So we think about a single DNA strand and just from what you mentioned about the gram of a DNA strand, being, you know, holding a zeta byte. Now, expand that propensity in a whole sequence, right? So whole sequence is like 24 different types of proteins in the whole sequence, right? Now, that could tell you your eye color or that could tell you a specific shade of your hair or, the, you know, shade of your skin or, or how your knees are angled together, right? So it's, or how dense your bones are going to be. Right, so it's that type of coding where if we're pairing it with, with CRISPR, say if you want to modify a specific, specific, uh, if you just want to kind of take a, uh, a pinch out of one of those strands and you want to change it with something else, it's like changing oil, right? You want to change it with something else. Well, what if you want to make your bones denser because you want to be, you know, if you want to play football in the future, right? Um, you, you have to think about the other side of things, right? When if you make one change, what happens when, what, what are the uh, integrative errors that can be affected when you make that one change? 
So just how um, you see the designer dogs that are, are meshed well together right. and some that aren't because they have health yeah. issues. Think about it in this aspect too. Right. If you are changing and, and you want to be a designer person, right? If they're going to design you from scratch, from your DNA. Now, there may be some of the other aspects that people may not have realized. Yes, it, it, the short-term gains are great, but we never know what the long-term capabilities are or the long-term opportunities for greater harm will be because we're still studying it as, as, as of now. Right. And we don't have enough clinical data just yet for understanding this age. From a significant value, this is actually going to better mankind. Right, and so to help disease, fight disease, and, and also to give you know context because I actually just had to look this up. Like I knew a zeta bite was was big, but I didn't really know how big. <laughs> so I actually just looked it up really quickly, and one zeta bite is approximately equal to a thousand exabytes a billion terabytes or a trillion gigabytes to give you some context. So that's, that is, yeah, that's a ton of data. And when you think about like how much DNA makes up the human body, like we're kind of walking data storage facilities ourselves. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it's funny that you mentioned that as well, because there, there are some new studies where, um, and I'm sure you probably may have seen some of the aspects of it where they're creating synthetic bi biology. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to take real strains. And when you mention immunotherapy, they're trying to take real strains from uh, their person's body and biology mm -hmm. and, and mesh it with synthetic blends to augment the features of the specific strands or the proteins or, or any of the biology to then give it back to the person. So it can, in, in effect, make the person better, right? Mm. Not just be healthier, but also make them better I, at the same now time. I've heard so, about it in terms of designer babies, like, you know, saying, well, you know, I want to have in vitro or whatever, and I want to pick the mm -hmm. face of my child. I want to pick the color eyes and, and the color hair. I've heard about it in that context. But what you're explaining is what, like a full-grown adult, them editing the DNA to actually make them, you know, let's, let's just say like not a serial killer or psychopath or something like that. Is that what you're talking about? Well, it, it, not so much saying not to be a psychopath, right? But to say um, they want to be immune to immune to different diseases in the future. So they, not just saying that they want to be cured of a disease that they have now, but they also want to be immune from it in the future. Right. So when they're blending, you know, synthetic biology, they want, that's kind of the same feature or the, the thought logic behind it. Got it, got it. Okay, so when you say synthetic biology, you're basically saying what, like basically a, a synthetic strand of DNA that's produced in a lab. So exactly, exactly. So because we, we know that every person is different, every makeup is different. Um, right now they, they can only create the architecture of a DNA strand. So they actually need the, 
resources from the person or the patient themselves so they can recreate the actual uh, strands and the helix uh, structure for, for the DNA. So imagine, um, you, I'm sure you've seen RoboCop, right? Where they rebuilt the guy um, after he, he was killed mm-hmm. and they made him better. So now think of it for yourselves. They want to rebuild your cells and your immune system to be better and to fight off a lot of other things that you wouldn't have fought off before. Because when um, chemo takes a toll on you, right, it, it, it damages your, your, um, your immune system. That's one of the first things that it gets affected. Yeah, all your one, cells, one of the first things that your cells basically are regrown when you go through chemo because it, it damages basically the whole cellular structure. And so That's what right. happens is certain things will change. So some people after chemo, they'll, you know, their hair will grow back a different color or their hair will grow yes. back a different texture. For instance, my texture of my hair today is completely different than the texture of my hair before chemo. So chemo really changes you at the cellular level. That's right. That's right. So now... Now you're now let's merge the ideology of this immunotherapy target or aspect with synthetic biology instead of having uh, because the chemo has been around since like the 50s, 40s, 50s. Um, it's a it's a natural extract of Agent Orange, which was used in the Vietnam War for flammable materials, and that became napalm. Oh, I had and, no idea. Really? Wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So. People are now understanding that it becomes harsh on your biology to go through that process over and over again. And people are creating uh, radiotherapies. They're creating uh, immunotherapies. They're creating uh, alternate um, chemotherapeutic actions for people. But now people want to reduce that feeling of, of just being crippled from you know, taking a chemotherapeutic agent. So immunotherapy is really now trying to use your own body biology to help you heal faster. So now if you want to say that if you get a cut and you want to heal faster than before, well, you, you're going to use a synthetic strand to merge it with your biology to help you heal faster. Or if you um, get a, you know, let's just, for example, if you get shot and, you know, an arm. What if you're able to heal uh, two times as fast or two times faster uh, than you would normally would from after therapy or after surgery? Well, now, what's interesting about this is I personally believe in um, the power of the body to heal itself anyway, just because I've seen certain stuff with myself and many of you, especially folks that, that follow me. You guys know how much of a health nut um, I am. And so, you know, even, you know, the liver, I think all you really need is a third of your liver and it can completely regenerate itself. And so that's correct. What's interesting about immunotherapy is it basically is like boosting your immune system to heal yourself, basically, whether you have cancer or whatever. That's correct. That's correct. And people are now resorting to that option a lot more, even though it's still costly to a lot of the patients um, for those who could afford it. 
Um, but I know there, there are actions now that they're trying to take to reduce those types of costs right. to help people broadly, not just the specific few that can only afford it. Because when we think about public health, um, now let's take a look at the coronavirus issue now. Yeah. We know it's all over the place now. Right. So what if, what if um, and a lot of the vaccines are using specific biology elements from the human body to replicate itself in the vaccine. So therefore, it's trying to help you fight against, fight off some of the elements of the coronavirus. Although one is not completed yet or, or finished yet, but that's the ideology of creating the vaccine. Right. Now, what if you were to use, so in essence, that's a semblance of immunotherapy, but it, it's not a one-size-fits-all measure for for everybody because it affects people differently. Right. Now, taking immunotherapy options for every type of patient is, is critical. And now if we're blending with um, CRISPR and Cas9 and many other health options that people are trying to take, I, I can foresee that immunotherapies being one of the staples of healthcare treatment options and be to be used for clinical trials. So if we're learning more and more about our body, you know, our body cells against different types of diseases, it should be an indicator to help us learn and understand how diseases actually mutate in the first place, just by learning on how our own body replicates better cells to help us heal better or heal faster. Yeah, and now the coronavirus stuff that is going on, it's definitely very scary. I do feel like, you know, a part of it is, is the media. Um, you know, it is, you know, contagious and everything, and I'm taking, like, specific measures as we all should. Um, but I do, it, I don't know, like, it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I feel like the, this, the data around just the regular influenza is worse than so far the data around um, the coronavirus. So, you know, I'm not sure what is going to happen with it. I also read some stuff that said that it could take up to like a year to actually get a true vaccine. Um, yep. So it's like, you know, in the meantime, <laughs> I think we're resorting to washing our hands and face masks and I ordered some gloves just because I'm like, I don't want to touch door handles and gas pumps and, you know, you just don't know what people are doing with your, with their hands. Um, so that's some of the measures, you know, that I'm taking, but they're, they're canceling. Like I was supposed to go to um, Ted, which is coming up next month mm -hmm. and they haven't, they haven't officially canceled it yet, but um, they did send out an email that said, you know, they can, we have two options. They can reschedule it to the summer or they can make it um, virtual. And so, you know, all of these events, Facebook or what Google canceled IO, I think Facebook canceled F8, um, which, you know, these are their um, developer conferences. So, yeah. People are taking like a ton of measures. I was actually supposed to go to this conference um, in Santa Monica this weekend, but I don't think I'm going to go just because I don't want to be around a lot of people and get sick. Like 
I'm a health nut anyway. I do not like to get sick. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's good cautious measures. And uh, one of the things that should be a focus is for immunocompromised individuals mm-hmm. such as yourself is that there's an extra layer of concern you know, because now your immune system can't strongly fight off against um, some of the strains for, for the coronavirus. Even take the flu, for example, everybody gets it every year. Maybe not everybody, but um, your body has built a resistance to an innate resistance against the flu virus or the flu vaccine, you know, what we get every year. So for me, being a healthy person, uh, you know, relatively healthy, my body can defend against these types of uh, agents regularly for immunocompromised individuals. It becomes a concern because now your body will take longer to fight it and it, it could probably get much worse before it gets much better. And this, so this is why if we're, we're seeing talking, a lot of elderly, that a, a lot of the people who are passing away are elderly. Yes, yes. And, and in 1927, um, when there was a Spanish flu epidemic, which it's, it's influenza in essence, but the Spanish flu, it, it wiped out a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was kind of before the vaccine actually came out. Mm-hmm. Which was, which is the the uh, derivative of what we take every year for the flu vaccine, the flu shot. Um, so when that data came out, or when we're able to concentrate on that data, we saw that it was a swath of just death, because we didn't understand how it progressed time and time again. And what's a growing concern is that the coronavirus has taken that same footstep that the Spanish flu did back then. We don't understand the mechanisms yet because we are still trying to grapple on actually how the transmission and how it's transmissible and how it is being seen from person to person um, without actually exhibiting any of the symptoms. Right. So it it starts pretty early. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, the coronavirus conversation is, is, is certainly like, you know, very timely. Um, and even if you don't have a compromised immune system, like I feel like my immune system is actually stronger than it was before. I used to get sick a lot before, um, mm-hmm. I was, you know, diagnosed with cancer, but now I really don't get sick that often it's just that I don't ever like to be sick. <laughs> if someone sneezes, <laughs> I'm like, no, even my kids, if my daughter tries to hug up on me and she's sick, I'm like, no, it's just, I'm, I'm just on high alert. And so I think everyone, and we'll probably actually just um, wrap the conversation at, at that, you know, with coronavirus guys, be safe, um, take precaution, you know, use hand sanitizer, wash your hands, um, as much as often and stay safe. Um, I'm actually, I don't know the next episode's coming up. Let's just all play this by ear. Let's not try to plan everything out like too far in advance because, you know, we were recording in studio. This will be a, a audio only version um, for now. And I'm going to play it by ear with the coronavirus situation because I don't want to be talking up on anybody's microphones or anything like that and my lips possibly touching anything so um i'll let you guys know you will know when we're back in the studio 
um, recording. But Reggie, thanks so much for jumping on this call and continuing. Thank you, Angela. Um, this conversation. I, I appreciate it. Great. I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That is the gray area. Thank you.